0: Through interviews with top professional, collegiate, and master's level runners, leading dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists, and runners of all shapes and sizes, we hope to spread the message that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to distance running. Now, let's get to the show. from the east coast
1: yeah so I moved Northwest. to Portland five years ago
0: I think awesome very cool
1: I yeah, mean just
0: five so, years I just want to like,
1: claim falsely claim being a Portlander
0: no so no you're really can't.
1: serious about being native to Portland so I'm like that's not
0: right <laughs> can't have that. I can't lie. <laughs> and then um, did want to tell everyone we're just going to be recording this discussion, but if you do want to ask any questions that you feel are too personal or don't want them on um, the recording, you can just type them in the chat box mm-hmm. or wait till the very end and then I can kind of um, stop recording and give you guys the floor to ask more questions to Danielle directly. So. Um, yeah, that said, I just wanted to get into your background, Danielle, and like kind of how you got started and running for those who don't know.
1: Sure. Um, hmm. I think about this. So I think, so I was always a really, um, active kid. Um, I had like a lot of energy and I got in trouble a lot. Um, like I, uh, I don't know, like, I just remember waking up in the morning and my parents being like, you don't sleep. And now I love sleep, so it's funny how that's kind of changed, but, like, you need to, like, learn how to walk down the stairs quietly, and I would, like, stomp down the stairs so loudly, and I had, like, this excessive amount of energy, um, and it got, like, I had trouble sitting in school, and it got me, kind of got me in trouble a lot, Um, and then I think, like, in seventh grade, my mom, my mom was an avid runner for 20 years, um, and she was like why don't you come running it with me in the morning and so it was like the thing that we did from seventh grade until high school or past high school i think Mm -hmm. um we'd go out in the mornings and run together and it was a really nice way to spend time with my mom um she has a neurological condition now so she can't run and so i think it was really in retrospect it's even more special now that like we got to share that time together um, knowing that like, she can't run anymore. So kind of started from seventh grade. And ever since then, it's been a part of who I am. And, yeah.
0: Did you, did you run in college or?
1: Again, no? I played lacrosse and I was horrible at it. Um, I just like would run up and down the field and I was like, why aren't I running? Um, and I think like my senior, you no, know, maybe it was my sophomore year. I started to run marathons. Um, and then what happened? I don't remember. Oh, I do remember. I took a couple years off running and I did yoga. And then I had a friend who was like, I will make you these yummy balls if you train for a 50 miler with me. And I was like, okay, why not? Like if you drink (laughs) snacks, I'm game. And so we trained, like that's how I trained for my first 50 miler is that. My friend was just like...
0: <laughs> what was in these yummy balls that she made? I know,
1: right? She'd be like, I'd bring you balls. Um, They're like peanut butter and chocolate chip. And like, they were just so good. You're like,
0: I'll do a 50 miler for those.
1: Yeah. I was like, you bring me snacks. I'm there. Mm-hmm. So I think that was before I moved to Portland. So a while ago. And then ever since then, I've been kind of hooked on yeah, running longer and longer distances.
0: Yeah, I would say so. Um, I should say something that people tend to say, at least locals, like, do you know Danielle Snyder? She's the girl who did the PCT and it (laughs) took, how long did it take you? So for those who don't know, um, can you give us a little background? Maybe for folks that like aren't in the States or aren't in the area, like what is the PCT and what portion do you
1: do? Okay, so the the Pacific Crest Trail um, is supposed to go across all the highest points in the West coast. And it starts, which I just learned actually um, it starts in California or um, Canada. So, so Mexico to Canada Um, and depending on like, I've always assumed that you would start in California because it's usually like warmer there. And then you traverse up to uh, Washington. But again, like it depends on when you start. So Me and my best friend Jameson um, last year decided that we wanted to try to tackle the uh, Oregon section of the PCT uh, because there had been no female runners who had ever done it before and there had been a couple of guy teams and so we decided to go after the fastest known time and run the, the Oregon section of the PCT. And
0: how long was this?
1: I don't, so I'm the worst, like with times and things like that, but I know it was nine days. Um, I don't remember how many hours,
0: but yeah, it was a long time. Nine days. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I also don't remember how many oh. miles. Oh, I have it. Um, 734 kilometers, which is, uh, 456 miles. Yeah. That's a lot. That's yeah. what I'm reading. Yeah. It was a lot yeah. of miles. Yeah. 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 it's a long so, time and so a portion of this was by yourself
1: yeah um yeah. so i so like the first two well the first day went and i remember being at like mile 10 and being tired because <laughs> it's kind of and i was like oh shit this is gonna be really hard um And I think we did the, I can't remember like all the details now, but the first day was 67 miles. And I just remember, um, finishing and being like, I like, this is just something that I don't even, I can't even like my brain could not grasp it. Um, and on the second day, my partner, Jameson or my adventure partner, Jameson, um, she started, her leg like started to swell up a little bit and it just continually got worse. And on the fourth day, we decided to take a rest day in hopes of her healing herself. Um, And subsequently since then, like people have asked like, do you think you could have gotten the guy's time if you had like not taken a rest day? And I feel very firmly that the rest day was worth it for the essence of the adventure with another person. And also, like, I could have pushed through and then gotten injured myself. Like, I don't know what that rest day provided me with. Um, But the next morning, I woke up and Jameson's, like, leg was, like, like, I just, like, it looked like it did not belong to her body. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, And so she decided, and after many conversations for many miles, she decided that she wasn't gonna run anymore. And I think I was so focused for so long about like making sure she took care of herself that I didn't realize that like, I'm gonna have to go run 250 miles alone or 300 miles alone. And then like, <laughs> I, like she sat in the car and I was like, oh wait, <laughs> now I have to actually go run alone this far? Um, and so I think like that, I have always believed in the, what I teach to other athletes and what I coach and because I also do a lot of um, like mental training, but I don't think I actually understood the power of the brain until that run. So I I have done a hundred milers before it. And like, it just felt very different being alone, like completely unsupported until, I mean, I was supported when I got to my crew, but like, I was going like 50 miles since alone. Um, And literally telling myself like every few minutes like you can do it stay in this moment and so I you know for all intents and purposes our bodies are so amazing and also it's kind of crazy thinking that like my training was good but it was like you can't train for 500 miles and so I I just like I was so it was such an amazing experience to know like the confidence within yourself is what propelled me to be able to finish. So, yeah. So I ran like 250 miles alone. A couple of times I picked up some pacers, which was nice. There's a lot of crying.
0: I can imagine <laughs> you probably get to some low points. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, I'm curious where we, maybe should backtrack a little bit, like where mental training. No, no, definitely. um, Just like with your mental um, training background. And again, if you're on live currently and you wanna ask questions, feel free to type in the chat box. I wanna make sure everyone gets the most out of our conversation. So um, just around mental training beforehand though, like how did you initially get into um, social work and kind of determine that you wanted to focus in on psychology or mindset?
1: So you're asking like really hard questions, where I have to really think back. So I'm going to pause for a second. Um, That's okay. I've always been fascinated by humans and people's psychology and like understanding why better. And I think that it, it's always like leveled on like kind of being um, – connected to or like wanting to better understand trauma or like really hard things that people overcome which is kind of as I'm saying this this is kind of like I don't know I've never like shared this before but I've always had this like fascination with like really sad things for more or less um and people's ability to overcome so maybe it's not the sad thing that I've always been drawn to but the resiliency resiliency yeah yeah I'm not really sure, but I've always been curious, like how do some people survive and other people give up? Um, And so when I started studying psychology, there was this belief system that resiliency was a trait that you were born with. And I was so sad when I like was learning about this as an undergrad, because I was like, well, that stinks. Like you're either born with it or you're not. It's a gene. Um, So some people are just screwed if they're not Resilient and subsequently since then they've discovered that resiliency can be trained and it's a skill And so I remember being in grad school when they started to come out with this new belief system that resiliency was actually Something you could learn and it was so exciting to me that we have the Ability to grow and our brains are flexible and there's so much hope in that Um, and I have insane amount of hope for people and their ability to change and so I um, did a lot of crisis work and I saw a lot of really intense sad stories in which people who for all intensive purposes shouldn't have survived survived and thrives and also vice versa people who subsequently maybe haven't had the hardest life experiences per se to the outside perspective but they were hard for them really struggle and maybe not survive. And so I've just kind of always been drawn to like helping people create different narratives and become more resilient and, and grow within the capacity that they can.
0: I love that. There's so much in that, that we could dive right into, but um, I guess one of my questions would be, what is, what are some of the most common narratives you see in clients you work with or athletes, like Ah. the stories that we're telling ourselves?
1: And we, as a culture, are really hard on ourselves. Um, you know, I, I think the people that seek out support from me are those who have narratives that do not complement strength or overcoming, even though when they talk with me, I see this story unfold of, like, such a different perspective. But for so many of us, we've been trained to not necessarily reflect on our stories in a positive manner. And, you know, there can be tons of different reasons, but a lot of it, you know, is I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, maybe something like I don't deserve this, or, um, you know, w- witnessing your parents, or witnessing interactions with your parents. Now, they think you should blame your parents, just that, you know, that belief system a lot of times gets like brought down to us. And there's, you know, an evolutionary purpose to it, because, so I think... You know a lot about my own upbringing and both my parents were raised jewish and um i think their grandparents were in the holocaust or like outside relatives were in the holocaust and i don't remember like the specific lineage to that but so my grandfather fought in world war ii and was in germany in world war ii And so his wife raised some of the kids in like during World War II, which was based in like a really scary time. And so they learned how to save money and um, protect themselves and like, you know, be more frugal, let's say. And then I was raised in an environment in which we were taught like, to always be prepared for disaster. And so my parents did it or my mom did it in a way that was like loving and compassionate to protect me. But I learned at a young age, like we need to predict the worst thing that could happen. And, you know, as an adult, I am like, eh, that's not really how I want to live my life. Like, sure, I'm going to be a prepared person, but I'm not going to always... I don't want to use my mental space and energy to predict. However, I do have to say, my mom, before the pandemic, was like, you need to get your water, Danielle. You need to get, um, you need to be prepared, like get food and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God, she's so dramatic. And then turns out she was right. So maybe there's something to it.
0: Absolutely. coming full circle. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you see these stories show up in like in athletes or maybe in the athletic realm of running, racing, kind of believing in yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that we're often setting ourselves up to be, to feel safe and to not fail and, pl- and essentially like play it safer. And so I see that in a lot of my athletes of like I'm never going to say I'm going to win a race. I'm never going to tell myself, like, I'm going to do well because I don't want to be disappointed. And I don't necessarily want to, like, feel that, yeah, that disappointment that, like, I put my mind to something and I couldn't do it. And so a lot of what I work with athletes on is, like, how can you reframe that to an experience of growth? So let's say you do fail what is that? What can you take from that? How can you learn from it? And how can you move forward? You can be sad if you don't get your time. Sure. That's disappointing. But you also like when you go into a race or a run or any type of thing with that type of mindset, you are already setting yourself up to not do well. It's like, um, if you're riding on a bike and you, um, Look at the ground all the time. You're gonna fall. I feel very similarly for running. Like if you tell yourself you can't do a workout, then you know you are powerful. That can be very true for you.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Again, if anyone has questions, they can always ask as we go along.
1: Megan's like, please. What questions <laughs> do you have?
0: No, no. What are some maybe exercises? How about this for athletes? people that are on the call. And I think I, when I say athletes, I mean, everyone, I don't know about you, but I feel like we're all athletes in our own way. If we want to be or runners or people, humans that run, Um, what kind of exercises might you have someone go through like any kind of journaling or, you know? Yeah. Take us through maybe what that looks like.
1: Oh man. There's so many of them. Um, And it kind of depends on you and what works for you. So sometimes when I'm working, with athletes will go through a host of different things and some it will be like you know like a recipe like this might work for you and then this might work for you whereas other people like their experience is going to um look very different so back when races were more prominent a lot of things that would happen is we would talk about the race and i would offer feedback on creating a different story so I would ask someone to talk to me about their intentions for the race, and someone might say something like, mm, "Well, I'd like to, you know, maybe try to come in second place, let's say, or I, I want, I might finish." And so then I might offer a suggestion of a reframe and ask them, like, "Okay, so that's one perspective. Can you share with me another way to say that, or what might if I was saying it?" would be a way i would describe it so words like might um think should any of those like qualifying words i kind of throw out and then i have the person say it back to me so if i have an athlete and i work with elite athletes professional athletes um athletes who run for fun athletes who are just starting to run climbers you know you name it but i make them start from kind of the description without adding in any subjective perspective. So I tell me that I like want to hear the story without the details of their views. And so it can be really fascinating to be like, oh, like they don't even a lot of times realize that they're qualifying themselves so quickly. Then I usually make them write it down and put it somewhere that they're gonna see it. And then I make them read it (laughs) to themselves. And, you know, a lot of times people will say something like, well, this feels fake or um, inauthentic. And so then it might be changing it up a little bit to be like, okay, well, what does feel authentic to you? You know, I want it to be reasonable. I'm not about to go run the Pacific Crest Trail in three days. So my intention is never going to be like, oh, I'm going to go do that in three days. It's going to be appropriately fit. And then, you know, like for some people, there will be visualization activities that can help. For other people, it can be saying it to a friend or a coach or, um, you know, journaling about it. And so it's kind of, it is pretty individualistic um, depending on the person that I'm working with.
0: We had a question come through. Um, What exercises would you start with to promote resiliency or to help prevent burnout?
1: Well, those are like two kind of, I first I really appreciate the question. Secondly, um, they're kind of different. And so resiliency would be a lot of like discussion on how to see two different truths, not just one truth. So a lot of times with resiliency or any type of um, situation, we tend to only see one side. So if someone had a failure, I look at that as an opportunity for growth. And so I ask people to share like, well, what did you learn? Because truth be told, as much as I hate not finishing a run or having a bad experience, I've learned so much more from that than any other experiences. And so that's one way to promote resiliency. Also kind of looking at their life and like areas of skills they've developed as a part of survival rather than being like frustrated with that skill has been really helpful um so that then with the burnout that's also a really complicated question um can i have more details or is it just burnout in general
0: i can well i'll say i think it's more maybe related to the life burnout rather than running but If anyone wants to clarify, they can. But yeah, I I think maybe right now, especially with COVID, right, we're kind of feeling this sense of how to keep going and pursue, you know, continue, whether it's career or racing or running, whatever it might be.
1: Yeah, I, that, I mean, another really great part of the question. I think that, especially right now, when there's so much going on, burnout is just, Kind of a part of the process. Um, and burnout doesn't last forever. So if someone is experiencing burnout, I want to talk with them and better understand what their life looks like. A lot of times we don't recognize before, like we say it out loud, how much we have going on. And so a lot of times what decreasing burnout looks like is taking time for self-care. Um, and people say like self-care is like a buzzword these days, but self-care has been around since therapy has been around. And it's about putting an air mask on yourself before putting it on anyone else. Um, we can't actually help other people if we're not taking care of ourselves. So I'd want to look at your what was going on in your life. And I would want to encourage compassion
0: and understanding rather than judgment. that's always a good one. I have a question and then we do have another listener question that came up. Um, I So something we talk about at Strong Runner Chicks, oftentimes body image comes up and I know mm-hmm. um, maybe you and I have touched on it here and there and like kind of your journey, but how how do you work with individuals that maybe are having these negative thoughts about themselves or struggling through body image, eating disorder, any kind of thing around that? Do you have any tips or advice or you know, exercises that you would, any way you'd adjust your coaching with those people?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get, I feel like a lot of times, like I have so much to say about these questions and I like want to be able to package them up and like put a little bow on them. And it's so eating, you know, body image and eating is so complicated. Um, one of the things I often start with, with my athletes who struggle with that is asking them, is wanting to understand their experience so everyone's experience is very very different um and and i can't necessarily say that like what one person has gone through is going to look similar to other people but in general if there's a lot of focus on body i like to kind of have someone talk to me about and explain and better understand how they feel about their body outside of the image. Like, are they feeling strong? Are they feeling capable? Are they feeling weak? What's underneath it? What's going on in their lives? You know, body image is so interconnected between like the message in the media, what runners should look like, and control. And I think like right now, on top of everything, like we are getting ber- kind of berated with like this um, sense of lack of control. And so, a lot of us have learned that, like, food and body image is something that we can really, really control. And so, it's so layered. Um, but it, you know, as athletes, like, food and is so important to being strong and having the ability to perform. And if we define ourselves by a certain body image, we're limiting our potential. And that, to me, is like the hardest thing. Is to know that like, forcing my body to look a certain way is going to inhibit or basically like limit my potential. And so I talk a lot about who you are outside of what your body looks like. Did that help cover it?
0: Absolutely. And I think you also have a point there, like who you are outside of not just what your body looks like, but outside of running too, which I know uh, you talk about a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean... Running is important um, to me, but like, I've said this in some other podcasts. I think it's important, um, like, to think about these things. But, like, no matter how I place at a race, like, I always want to be known for who I am. And so I've said before, like, if I am at mile four and someone falls down, I'm going to stop and ask if they're okay because that's who I am. That's okay if other people don't, but that's just who I am. If that person's okay and I help them up and then like we're racing towards the finish, like you can bet I'm going to kick out and like try to beat them. Like I don't care that they fell. Like I'm going to always try my hardest to beat someone. But you know, like if they fall or they're injured or like I'm worried about someone, like I'm in my values and values are different for everyone, being a compassionate, empathetic person is above being a runner. And so I'm always going to pick that. Um, because, you know,
0: that's the story I have for myself. I love it. Thanks for using that example. I think examples are so nice to hear too, stories like that. Yeah. And maybe you have an example for this one. So this question came through, kind of switching gears. Um, So back to talking about kind of racing and being in events, say, and and I can relate to this one because this just happened to me on Timberline, but say you're at hour 10 of 12 and you realize you aren't going to achieve your goal. What tips would you have to continue to push despite knowing you wouldn't accomplish what you set out to do? So if you feel like you're not maybe on track for, you're trying to set an FKT or you're trying to hit this 12 hour goal and you, you know, that you're not going to hit it, how would you handle that?
1: Yeah, that, that is like another really, really good question. Um, Because it's the flexibility within our brains. And so it depends on like the type of goals that we have, but I, you know, and the type of the races, if it's like your first 12 hour race, I'm going to encourage my athletes to have a more flexible goal, um, of like trying to finish strong, let's say. So I would probably take away a number goal, which I think can be really challenging. Um, because we like number goals, right. But I think like finishing strong Or having a mantra for each hour, or um, kind of like focusing on what you want to learn from the experience, can be really helpful. If you know you do twelve-hour races all the time, it's kind of your jam. I would have an A goal, a B goal, and a C goal. And so it's not that you're not going to be disappointed if you don't get your A goal. It's that you're able to switch and be flexible and like keep moving because. If you let that mental um roadblock come up there and you know, let's say you're not gonna make your 50 mile goal, then you're not gonna make your 40 mile goal either if you start crying and you can't like shake it off. So a lot of times I I, you know, there's subsets of goals and then also honoring like, okay, I'm gonna give myself five minutes, I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna be upset. I'm going to swear or whatever you need to do. And then like, how can I motivate myself and keep moving forward? Because when we only set a top goal, it gets really easy to get disappointed. And it's not that you can't do it. It's just like in a race, we are using all of our sources of energy, emotionally and physically Mm -hmm. that it's harder to like kind of transition in.
0: Yeah. I think that's great to remember. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. Any other questions? (laughs) Things you, anything Danielle that you commonly get questions about or that you feel like should be talked about more when it comes to mental training and running?
1: Uh, I mean, I feel like kind of a broken record, but we spend so much money on running equipment and like (laughs) we spend so many hours running and we just often don't spend the same amount of time or um quality towards mental training and I think that that's really really important um we can't expect to show up to a race and be ready and be mentally prepared if we haven't been doing that every single day as well we're running most days so you know, I think that it's unfair to our bodies and our brains to also expect that mind to be at its top game if we haven't been working on it. Our brains well, actually they're not muscles well I used to um I used to say that brains were muscles, and then recently I read this thing that like they're mostly fat, so I'm not really I think they have like lots of nerves. Neurons and neurotransmitters in them, but they're actually like not a muscle. But you have to work it. You have to work that brain chemistry. And in I order still to-
0: like the mind and muscle analogy, right? <laughs> so do I.
1: I was so bummed when I like read that. Yeah, brains were mostly fat.
0: Okay, we've we've got more questions now that we gave a pause. So someone asked about mantras. Do you have any favorite mantras? I know mantras. I always hear they're really individual, but maybe you have a few faves. Oh, um,
1: I like be here now because I tend to think about like the next mile, um, a lot. And so I think like being in the moment is really helpful for me. Like I'm, so be here now or like something like I'm a big fan of short, easy uh, like On day like six of the PCT, I was just saying my dog's name over and over again. <laughs> Because my dog was at the um, like every spot that I could go, and I was just like Petra, Petra, Petra <laughs> out loud. I probably looked so crazy, but it like was the only thing that was like motivating me to like
0: move forward. Just to be um, your dog. Yeah, I was just like Petra. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I love it. That's great. Um, another question is just how do you keep it simple? And maybe this goes along. I know you just did your first ultralight kind of fast packing trip, but how do you keep things simple when maybe things feel too complicated?
1: When you're, I guess I'm a little I'm clarifying. <laughs> I'm
0: asking for clarity too, because I'm not sure. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Um. Yeah, well we can we can come back to that one a little. Oh, to not overthink maybe or feel like you need to overplan too much.
1: That I mean that is definitely a hard one for me because I am a I think about things and I'm like I know we went backpacking this um, I did like my first running fast packing experience. I've hiked before, but I've never actually ran. Um and I remember like waking up in the middle of the night like 4 days before like and the mileage was not anything that I haven't done before. But I remember thinking, i waking up like on Wednesday before I'd packed my pack and like, is everything going to fit? Like, how am I going to do this? And so the, there's this concept called name it to tame it. And what it basically means is to acknowledge how you're feeling. So I woke up at 3 a.m. I was like, okay, you're feeling a little anxious about doing something new and that's okay. New things are hard. It makes sense. Now there's nothing you can do about that right now. Take a few deep breaths and go to bed. And I probably woke up a couple more times because this shit isn't perfect, but it helps me kind of like be able to see it and be like, all right, this is not that scary. I'm going to make it work and then move forward. So I'm a big fan of like, it's okay to feel that way. And you get to decide what you do with it.
0: Love it. Good piece of wisdom. Thanks for sharing that. We have one more question so far. Um, How can someone motivate themselves? This is tough to get out the door. I know I feel better after a run, but getting out, just getting out the door can be hard some days.
1: Seriously. That is something that, like, when someone says that they don't struggle with this sometimes, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I love running, but there are days where I don't want to get out the door. Um, And so I I first want to normalize that for you. All of us go through that. And then the second thing I want to say is, you know, I do this by three miles, but I think that other people can do better um, a little bit shorter. So I won't make a decision about a run until three miles in. And actually, Jameson, my my best friend taught me that one is like, we don't make decisions until three miles in about how runs are going to feel. And then we can change our mind again. But for athletes that I work with, generally, I have a five-minute rule. Get outside and move for five minutes. You don't have to run. You could hike. You could walk. You could walk your dog. And then you can go from there. Um, And then if you feel good after five minutes, go for another five minutes. If you don't, then you don't have to keep going. Like, this is not mandatory. This is a choice. Um, And as long as you're getting outside for five minutes, that's a step in the right direction.
0: All good pieces of wisdom. Okay, maybe this is a good one to end on unless others have questions. Um, your favorite snacks. You know,
1: last week someone made fun of me for this. Why? Um, because they asked me what my favorite snaps, snacks are. And right now they're banana chips.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't like those.
1: <laughs> I know, no one likes them. I love while them. While running,
0: this is all while running, right?
1: yeah i mean i won't eat it um actually i don't like a lot of the things that i eat running when i'm not running um but m- the longer days are something that really convenient about like little mangoes and
0: banana chips mangoes are good too banana. and then when you're going on these multi-day trips do you stop and eat meals i'm sure people are wondering what you pack then
1: um it really depends on the adventure um like at the PCT I was supported. So there were like, I ate meals. I ate meals like when I was running cause calories were so deficient, that like I was just eating all the time. Um, and backpacking, we brought like a rolled up burrito. Um, so I, I mean, I'm a big proponent of fueling properly, which means eating more than you think you should. Um, And I come from a background of not doing that. And so in the past couple of years, well, months, actually, I've prioritized like fueling correctly, which means like eating every hour, despite how hungry I am. Um, And my runs have been dramatically improved. Like I can't even tell you how much better they feel, which is shocking because it's so simple. Like, eat more food, and you're going to feel better on runs, which like, duh, but still like one of the hardest things. And I still have that, you know, that question in my head, if I have three miles left and I'm hungry, do I fuel for that? I've only run 12 miles. Should I fuel? Yes. You should always fuel. Like, but you know, like, I just want to honor that like, you're going to have those questions and it's okay to be like, I don't know what to do, but the answer is always yes, eat.
0: Yeah, usually when you say no, it comes back to bite you, right? And then I'm you're curious. Like, I'll but, be fine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I'm curious about the motives too. Like, why are you not eating if you're right. hungry? Yeah. If I'm thinking about food, I should be eating.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And helps with recovery, for sure. Yeah, I
1: mean, my yeah. recovery time is faster. Everything feels sure. better. Um, yeah. Again, it's like, to me, I'm like, do I want to tell people how much better you feel if you just
0: eat? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. <laughs> and say your mantras and yeah, do your yeah, and mindset work. Yeah, say your mantras.
1: <laughs> Life advice by Danielle.
0: <laughs> yeah, and sleep. Um, yeah. Well, I guess if no one has any questions, then that's about it. That's about all we got, right? Um, I'm curious. Okay, I've got a couple more. Actually, who's someone that inspires you, and why? So, um,
1: I I think like the biggest person who inspires me is Brene Brown not a runner. Um she's a social worker. She's written a couple of different books. Um she is really into being vulnerable and authentic and she is like the first woman that I've ever read about who is a businesswoman who still talks about how she feels personally. Um and I feel like she really paves the way to say like you can have emotions and still be taken seriously and before reading her books, I I was a little uncomfortable sharing like my own story and sharing about how I was feeling and kind of my own insecurities. And ever since um, reading and like kind of following her, I've learned that like there's an art to it, and that it actually is a beautiful thing to be able to like acknowledge your humanness with other people. So I don't have a lot of like. I, I, I don't have like a ton of people that I'm like, oh, I need to meet that person. But she definitely is someone that I would, I'd want to meet her.
0: Yes, I, for sure. I think we're all fangirls of Brene Brown. Yeah, I am awesome. like, I got a girl
1: crush on her. Yeah.
0: <laughs> She's great. Um, al- Along those notes, do you have any favorite books, especially for resiliency or mindset?
1: Oh, I'm just looking over at my book stash there. I mean,
0: there's so, I. You could only give us like three what would they be um
1: uh, like looking at my po- uh that's a really hard question for me because I have so many books that I like
0: right um yeah.
1: and usually they're like really dramatic and like um kind of sad uh so like B- Victor Frankel wrote a book
0: um he's a <laughs> man's search for meaning yeah man's search oh for that's meaning. a I knew that was gonna come up yeah.
1: See, like, I am so fascinated with these, like, really sad stories, yeah. um, and he was a gentleman yeah. who was a psychologist who was in Auschwitz and lost his, um, his wife who was pregnant and his parents, and so it kind of talks about how, like, through suffering, he experienced, like, a greater meaning of life and how he survived, not maybe intact, but how he was able to still Find meaning to life, even though, like, he had seen the worst of humanity. So, I like to me, like, what running is is a microchasm for the bigger picture of life. And so, like, being able to um, find resiliency in everything is really, really the best way to go about, like, being a more resilient runner. I love it. Um, I also just recently read Untamed, which I appreciated by Glennon Doyle um so I was looking at the book and I liked her because she talks a lot about like not being put into boxes um and how like as women or men we don't have to let society define who we are or like if we think about it in terms of running like we don't have to let anyone else define our goals we get to define them so I thought that I thought that was a pretty awesome book too
0: Great, thanks for sharing. And then um, my biggest question, too, the last question, would be how? What's the best way for anyone listening to connect with you?
1: Um, feel free to email me. That's D A N I E L L E R S N Y D E R at gmail Awesome.
0: Yeah. And uh, <laughs> sorry, someone asked if you're MySpace. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> just a, you know do you have, oh, have MySpace, my space, space? Um, igdms <laughs> my aim you
1: guys probably too young for aim you remember aim <laughs> i remember it yes okay I don't okay so
0: know. reach out to danielle via email if you want to work with her yeah or yeah. you can
1: follow me on instagram or something again yes. has been posting How about yeah. me?
0: <laughs> That's right. Got to showcase our uh, our special guests. So thank you for being on. Really yeah,
1: thank you so yeah. much for giving me this opportunity. It was really fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks, everybody who joined. If you guys have follow-up questions, yeah, reach out to Danielle and totally. connect. Um, I will say, I think you're pretty booked, Danielle. I don't know, but maybe you have a wait list. Yeah. I do yeah. have a wait list. So, okay. Um, I don't I mean, want to send more clients if you're already at full capacity.
1: Yeah. No, feel free to reach out though. Um, I'm, I do have a little bit of a wait list probably cause I'm adventuring more right now, but our summer our like summer. are so short.
0: They so, are. Yeah. Take advantage. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. But feel free to reach out. I'd appreciate that. Love it. All right. Awesome. All right. Okay. Take care. Have a good Bye. one, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks Radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.